What does it take to create something that never existed before? What does it take to challenge the status quo? What does it take to change the world? This is The Swell Podcast. We're passionate about story, experience, and designing culture, but ultimately how an idea swells into a movement. Take a journey with us as we seek the answers to those three questions through the stories of thought leaders, world builders, game changers, disruptors, and other pleasantly rebellious humans who've ventured out into the unknown on a personal journey to do something novel, innovative, creative, or disruptive. In today's episode, we chat with Nate Walkingshaw, previous chief experience officer at Pluralsight and author of Chasing Confidence, Transforming Ideas into Impact. We dive into his story from his first company, the moment that changed his perspective, to his time with Pluralsight and beyond, including his passion for kinetic architecture and directed discovery, his model for putting the customer at the center of everything. And stick around because by the end, he may or may not bring out the guitar to close us out. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, sign up to our newsletter at theswellpod.com, and get in on the conversation through all of the major socials at The Swell Pod. Our first season is made in partnership with Kiln. Kiln provides flex office space solutions for teams and individuals. Their all-inclusive set of amenities helps startups, creatives, and entrepreneurs alike get work done. Learn more about Kiln at kiln.co. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. By the way, did you, you did notice we, we we got our nice hoodies on for? Oh yeah, for this I, I'm loving it. I think it's killer. <laughs> yeah. The Asics hoodies dialed. Are you a runner? I am. I run a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And nobody throws like legit Asics gear on for 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 design purposes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding you. They they they've they've got good chops over there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan. Yeah. yeah. Well. Um, it's great to have you on. Thank you for joining, uh, Nate. We really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to, like, you know, we love to talk about kind of what your journey's been, your past, your present, your future, and things like that. But I want to kind of get right to the to the meat of it. We've known each other um, and Josh for a few years, uh, and that started probably at Plural Site, uh, knowing Plural Site pretty well. Um, and you uh, were the chief uh, product officer and experience officer and, and several other roles over the years. Um, I'm going to ask you, why did you leave? Yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, you know, the answer is, is super simple. Uh, I was it, it, just the sheer exhaustion of, you know, we were sub 100 employees you know, just had come off of, I think, 38 million in ARR. So small, you know, we were a small crew. Uh, We had acquired a lot of different companies, but I would just say, you know, I ate, but finally, you know, 11 acquisitions, you know, we had raised $300 million. Uh, We had gone through kind of three, what I'd say, three substantial restarts on the executive team, um, plus a non-deal roadshow, roadshow, a public IPO, and two years worth of, you know, uh, earnings calls, uh, you know, you do 90 callbacks, um, you know, on the buy and the sell side, you know, earnings calls. And then my team, you know, went from 80 to, you know, went from eight, sorry, to 820 folks, almost a thousand employees. Uh, you know, in my final kind of final year, you know, you work, I was a publicly traded section 16 officer and I had never been, a publicly traded section 16 officer where, you know, kind of everything in the world is, is, you know, for people to take a gander at and you're just under a lot more scrutiny, um, <clears throat> you know, on, on internally at the business and then also externally in public markets as well. Uh, and yeah, it was just my time. I mean, that's, that's like, there's like, there's zero bad blood. Like I love the company still to this day. I love the team. I loved every single person that I worked with. Aaron and I are still, extremely close friends. Um, you know, I, I, I'm super grateful for him. I mean, he, he provided a tremendous opportunity for me and my family and, you know, some significant outcomes and the whole team there's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's world-class, but this is the first break I've taken in, uh, I think 22 years and like that you have to stitch that together. I think it's super important that you do is you know, I started out as a firefighter paramedic making $7 and 14 cents an hour, right? I got paid, you know, my overtime shifts, you know, would bump you up to 10 bucks, 
but long story short is if you looked at the paramedic career into paramed, which was my own, you know, ideas for patient transport, you know, that was a startup that took almost a decade. I went five years, five hard years, new product every year for five years that got bought by Stryker. And then what happened there was I had to integrate my company into a publicly traded, you know, 8,000 employees, 1.2 billion in annual sales and go through their publicly traded rigor. And so, and then came out of that and started Brightface, then OC Tanner, then Pluralsight. It was the cumulative effect. It had nothing to do with like anything specific to Pluralsight. I just smoked, like super, super smoked. So just wanted, uh, you know, I knew, I knew I needed to call it, uh, but, uh, but yeah, just, yeah, it was time. It was time, man. I have four sons, so I wanted to spend a ton of time with them. You know, I wasn't anticipating COVID. It was really like a damper because, you know, I'm in the middle of my sabbatical and I'm not, I mean, this is a sabbatical, like a short sabbatical. I don't, this isn't like five years off here. You know, it's like a year, you know, in the holding pen and then back at, back at it. I still have one or two more in me. Um, but I wanted to take my kids, you know, to Europe. I want to go see the world. I wanted to live abroad and, uh, you know, show, you know, my family, do some social impact, you know, stuff in marginalized communities around the world. And, you know, here we are in, you know, Sandy, Utah, <laughs> you know, confined pretty much to our house for almost a year. It's crazy. That's, 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 that's tough. Yeah. I, I think your story is super interesting though. And I, I sense kind of a, like a, a sigh of relief, right. For, from huge amount of work for a sustained intense period through all that journey. And, and now time with the family is super important, but you can't go anywhere. Um, what, what are you doing uh, with, with the family to kind of get around that just out of interest? Oh. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you guys could come here, you'd be like, Oh my goodness, this guy, he, he really didn't take a break. I, all I did was shift the energy of what I did. Like I, like this energy is aimed at my family and then it, you know, um, like physical, like kinetic projects. Those are the things that I dreamt about when I was, you know, daydreaming at Pluralsight or any other, I had, I dreamt of building buildings or structures or physical products again. And so, um, yeah, I'll show you, I'll show you a picture of, of something that I've, that I've been working on. That's pretty fun. Um, and yeah, I, I, we've been doing a ton of stuff. It's <laughs> amazing. I, like, like is 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 uh as funny as that is, I haven't been sitting on the couch. That's for sure. Even though there have been, I think the luxury is is that I get to decide if I want to go over and take a break, or if this is you know too much for the day, or um you know I've really really enjoyed being able just to go ahead and take a knee and then you know go do whatever I want, which has been nice. Oh, really? That's that's cool. <clears throat> Let me show you this. I'm gonna share your. I'm gonna share the screen. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So this is this is a building that uh, I worked on here. You guys see that? Okay. Yeah. I can. Yeah. So I'm I'm not done uh, with it yet, but you know, there's there's a lot of things in the product world, the product nerdery of me. But you know, flat work. I've never done flat work. You know, walls. You know, all the bend and weld, the aluminum, and then. You know, all these are reclaimed timbers from the Ashley National Forest for, from Beetle Kill. Um, so literally this whole entire structure, uh, I designed in chief architect and then built a full set of working prints and then um, built this, you know, with, with me and my, my son, Sarah, and then a couple of really close friends. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I've done a couple of these things. I've done a pickleball court, a pergola, you know, this right here will be, I don't know what it'll be yet. I'm, I'm just like, it's more about trying to get the committed to exactness um, around just learning how to, you know, pour flat work or concrete, but yeah. Did, did you that's say awesome. you don't know what that's going to be? Yeah. I don't, I don't know really what it's going to be. I mean, I think it could be like a gym or a studio or, you know, a wood shop or a metal shop. Um, dimensionally the, the idea was to make it a kind of a hybrid building. Like, you know, we go through a lot of seasons in our family where we like to try a lot of stuff on and then, and then we kind of put our tools down and then try and build, you know, an, another dimension of our, our set. So I think that, you know, using tactility, using your hands a ton, uh, builds a totally different, you know, uh, area in your brain than, than just doing the same mundane things that you do every single day, like moving from the desk 
you know, of working on software for six years, uh, where I, I'm almost sure I got carpal tunnel in this hand, which is ridiculous to even say, you know, trying to move into, you know, hardware, it's like a game changer. Um, and it was really nice. I, I did that, you know, 10 ish, 10 and a half years ago when I was at Paramed, but, you know, to, to really get back into it again, has just been really fulfilling. It's super, you know, bubblegum for the mind. Yeah. That's, I, I, I'm impressed that you can build this thing without knowing what it will be though. Like th there's something to that, right? Like, yeah. I mean, of, of course I'm familiar and we're going to get into this direct to discovery. Like I understand that, but from, from my perspective, like, so I have, I have a, I have an unfinished basement. I have no, like, I don't know what to do because I don't know what it will be. You know? and it's, a huge block, it's a huge block in my mind. Yeah. And it's interesting to see, I, I, like, that's got to just be from your experience uh, and your mindset to be able to go out and, and experiment and build this thing again with no idea of what it will be. But yeah, I mean, to see it manifest in that, in that picture, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah. That's you, great. So you learn to, to roll with it. Yeah. And that's, and that's that, awesome. and that just, just, I think uh, mentioned, mentioned that's within a, an orchard, right? Or at least an orchard very close by that you also manage. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Tree, our tree farm, like the tree farm is on that same, on that same patch of land. That's great. We, we're going to probably get into um, maybe revisit that of, of, of where, you know, you're kind of going into the unknown. You're, you're just going with your gut feel or your passions. You're just trying new things, whether or not that connects to your future uh, initiatives or things that you might, problems you might want to solve. We'd love to get into that maybe to, you know, later on in the, in, in the conversation. But I wanted to kind of just go back to the, um, where, where, the where it began. So you have this yeah. uh, great book that's, uh, that we've read, uh, Chasing Confidence. Um, and we'd love you to tell you a little bit about that pivotal moment of where things changed for you and what yeah. you learned. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, as, you know, it kind of maybe the bigger theme is like, as we're raised, um, we have all these different experiences that define ultimately, you know, who we are as human beings, like the very words that are coming out of my mouth, the person that's sitting in this chair is just a culmination of all of these different interactions and experiences that I've had. Um, and I think, you know, current best thinking for me today is, uh, you know, as I've gone through, you know, a lot of, and I would say failures by far, you know, have shaped a lot more of my successes. I say the cumulative effect of my failures, um, are in spades, like much deeper and broader on what's kind of honed the tools to kind of be just able to, to be in it, uh, when things either are uncertain or unknown or, we need to organize a lot of people against it. But I would say, you know, the, the moment that I decided to leave college and this conversation with my dad on my front lawn on, you know, what that would look like for me, that was a huge pivotal moment for me. Um, you know, going from, you know, quote unquote, a five-year MBA in international business minor in German um, and just dropped the tools and said, Hey, I, I want to serve. Uh, I would, you know, I'd much rather um, spend time in the back of an ambulance getting to understand, you know, human behavior and human beings. Um, and I was on the community service board um, at my, you know, at my high school, and that was extremely fulfilling. And then my cousin was also a paramedic. And those three influences I had great educators, I had a really great, uh, you know, family member. And Andy drove up to my house in his ambulance. Uh, I was at my grandma's house. And, uh, he, he said, Hey, do you want to come on a ride along? And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, well, you can jump in the back of the ambulance and come on a, on a few calls. I was like, really? And I'm like, well, what do I have to sign? He's like, well, you know, you have a one page waiver, but you can jump in. I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I signed this waiver and I jumped in the back of the ambulance with Andy and it's like my whole world completely changed. And it was super scary to bail college to go do this, like to have this conversation with my family um, you know, it was tough. Like there was a lot of sacrifices to get me into, um, these schools and to the education that I had and just to drop it and go for it. Um, you know, really a lot of insecurities, a lot of stuff happened. So I'd say that was one of the biggest moments. Second biggest moment was creating a product for me, not for we. So, you know, I was a, you know, I was an emergency medical technician and I thought I'd invented the best thing since sliced bread. And at the end of the day, I got punched in the face. I mean, it was, 
it was brutal. Absolutely brutal. I mean, I was absolutely convinced I'd raised money. Um, angel money at that time is like late nineties. <clears throat> so like $25,000 at a time. And I told these investors, I'd give them all their money back, you know, and, and, and some. And when I took my product into New York and I had New York city paramedics that were mounting these ambulance caught tracks onto the bottom of their ambulance cots, so we didn't have to carry patients. And I literally pulled it out of the, the reps truck and he laughed. He laughed straight in my face. He's like, what is this? And I'm like, well, this is going to save your back. It's going to save your career. And I think he used some nice expletives. Like this is not going to save, you know, drag crap for you. <laughs> you know, like this is, this is horrible. And I'm like, no, it's nice. It's amazing. It's the, this is the best thing. Like, dude, let's just use it. And he's like, I'm not going to use it. He's like, how is that going to even fit in there? And we're in front of a brownstone apartment, right? And I like opened the door, looked up the stairwell, and I was like, whoa. And I'm like, well, there has to be like other conditions than other this. And he's like, look around. You know, look, this is, this is like, this is our district. This is what we call into every single day. There's no way it's working. And then, you know, went to Florida. The water table's too high. There's no basements. Went to the Dakotas, like it's sub 30 below. You know, um, so I made it at a high density polyethylene and, you know, a lot of different metallurgies that are just not going to work. They're going to be way too brittle, um, especially in really like cold climates. And I'm like, well, everything looks like Utah. Yeah, no. Like paramedics don't behave the same. You know, patients don't behave the same. Conditions aren't the same. Buildings aren't the same. Like nothing is the same. And that was the, I would say the birth of Director Discovery was, I need a framework that keeps, um, you know, for all, for all purposes, for CEOs, I think CEOs, leaders, all the way down to individual contributors and product managers to keep you on the rails. You just need mile markers, guideposts, a framework that keeps you honest with yourself. It keeps the teams honest with themselves because we have this, this need to have this unconscious bias, whether it's expediency or recency you know, like everything has this unconscious bias to it and you need a framework that like racks you, you know, right back into the middle of the road and, and orients you to say, Hey, like, what are we doing? Why are we here? And are we way committed to ourselves um, in this? Is this actually going to solve a problem? And the second I started asking customers what they wanted, it was over. I'm like, Oh, this is so easy. I'm like, I just have to aggregate what they're telling me. That's, that's crazy with innovation, right? I mean, that's not like, you just don't build what somebody tells you to build, right? But this gives you direction. It gives you kind of like the lump, if you will, the lump sum of the idea that you need to start shaping. And then from there, you can be able to infuse it with, you know, data science or machine learning or, you know, any type of, you know, the way patents work is you're supposed to reduce the number of working components to make it more patentable. Like when we create, came up with ambulance cots, you know, you don't want to build a cot with more bells and whistles. You want to actually reduce the number of bells and whistles, right? And then increase the functionality and innovation. That's IP. That's intellectual property. And so as soon as you start to shape and mold those ideas with your team around, you know, hey, this is what we're aimed at. This is what's possible. Dude, it's magic. You know, people become the hardest thing to manage, not products. Like products are cake to build now. It's the people, like the teams, the management, the scale, the behavior, because we all come from different walks of life, you know, with all these different experiences, which is a huge benefit, by the way. But getting them around these ideas and these concepts is, yeah, full-time job. Wow. That, I love that. And there's so many different directions I think I'd like to go down, but we can only choose one. But just before we maybe talk about the director discovery or the getting close to the customers, um, to really find out what the problems are. Um, I kind of want to go back to that, that, that decision point that you had with your, um, yeah. you know, going away from college and there's challenging conversations with your, you know, your family who obviously, you know, ended up being super supportive of you, but what was it like, what helped you make the decision? Was it, was it a feeling like, how did you make the decision to do that? Yeah. I think that's a super powerful question to ask. Um, and I, and I think it's nuanced and I hope people like when they hear this, they, they actually spend some time thinking about the decisions that they've made. Um, this was a moment in time that I decided, well, I would say it was the first step 
in becoming who Nate Walking Shaw ultimately was going to be. Like we're, we're byproducts of the things that they're, we're raised in, right? So, you know, my parents are like seriously just uh, incredible humans, but by and large, I am a byproduct of their direct leadership, mentoring, guidance, even their context that they create in my life. And I would say that the moment I didn't know, I would say the five-year MBA international business with a minor in German was more of a concept that my family and specifically mom, my mom and dad created for me. You know, this is, this is what, you know, in order for you to have material success, this was a path that you need to take or you could take or you should take to become, you know, successful um, and whatever that was defined as at that point in time. And this was the, <laughs> I'd say the tipping point to say, I'm not sure if that outcome of success works for who I want to become. I, I'm not sure if that's going to align to, you know, my current core values. And it, it wasn't that the career path was wrong is that I found myself being much more service oriented, much more human, much more empathetic. Um, like the business, 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 you know, was not something that was like really formed. Like I would go to these classes and macro micro econ. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's really cool to learn, you know, about these different concepts, but, but when I went with Andy, I mean, it was overwhelming, like the amount of empathy, the amount of emotion, the amount of connection, but I would tell you the possibility to learn, um, how to save a human life was extremely valuable and that became i mean seriously in one days of ride-alongs it became a part of my identity and i'm like i want to go explore who that person could be and every single time i pulled on the thread of that i understood more about who i am how i was built um, and how to kind of pay myself first so i could be a better person you know, for relationships around me and for people around me. And, um, you know, people in the back of the ambulance, my partners, I mean, they probably taught me the most. I mean, I still have patients in, you know, in my head that, <clears throat> you know, taught me massive concepts that I, that I could have never uh, learned uh, on my own. There's no way. Well, what's, what's, what, what's, what's so fascinating about this is like hearing you talk about these specific moments, like, it makes sense for you as what was a chief experience officer. I think like, it seems like you understand the importance of these moments, like in a way that I don't, I'm not, not sure a lot of people do, but in, in both maybe in the moment, but definitely reflectively. Right. And, and I think what's so interesting about this is I think that I guess it's more of a question, but do you look at as a, as an experience through life, do you look at like I'm very open to as many experiences as I, as I can get so I can continue to collect and curate myself uh, and combine different things with other things. Like, are you really open to experiences that part of what makes Nate yeah. Nate? Yeah, 100%. I think, I think that is probably um, like the next pivot that I go into in my life. I mean, I, I was started in medical devices, then, you know, hardware, and then in software, I can tell you this next step will be nowhere near the other two locations that I, that I was in most likely <clears throat> like that. I think that there's a whole nother world that needs to probably for, for my creative, I guess, state, like there's a whole nother world I'd want to step into to start pulling on different threads. And I would like, Josh, I would, I would use it like guitar. Like I would say guitar in my younger years. I mean, I was good at like four chords and a song or two and I'd write a song and then I replay like these three or six songs that I'd know. I don't know what it is, but I can pick a guitar up now and I'm like into different creative spaces, like cording that I could never put together. Like I had like a cognitive block for some reason, but I, I do believe that the development of this skill set has allowed me to create new sounds on a guitar that I will sometimes look at my fingers and I'm like, where is this coming from? Like, how is this happening? This is so cool that I'm in these areas of this songwriting that I've never been in before. And um, I would say life for me is a lot like that. I, I really, I really love headwinds. I like challenge, but I like doing it with people, um, you know, and a lot of it, people don't see their own potential. Like growing people is exciting. Like to watch somebody take on something that they never thought they could do. And then they master it. 
And you just sit back in your chair and like, look at you go. Like, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. I, I, I know we want to get into directed discovery, but I, I do. I want to talk about something because I think it relates to what you just said. That's in the, in your book, chasing confidence. And there's a comparison, like in, in my mind between pace, you know, you talk about the tortoise and you talk about the hare, right. And, and there of course is this, you know, preconceived notion that, a, you know, working in a certain way, meaning really, really fast is the way to go. But I love the way that you break down direct discovery, but I, I, I don't necessarily want to dive into that right now. I like, I'm interested to know, I think as you look at experiences through life, like those moments when you're, you're identifying new chords or your, your fingers are being put into play new music, like how do you look at pace then through, through the experience of not just, you know, work, but, you know, which is, I think, in directed discovery, but your pace through all of these different opportunities, all of these different jobs. And, and when you look at the moment that you're in right now, like, I think you've channeled your energy into a new area, but yeah. the pace may feel a little bit different. And I think that allows from a creative standpoint. Yeah, I think really it's actually pretty incredible that you and Spence can break apart a question for, for an audience to listen to, because again, like the, these are like really subtle, super important nuances um, that, that I think are, are great for mental fitness, like for good mental health and fitness, especially right now. And I would say the, the example for, you know, everyone to try on is that, um, a, a simple one is like, look, I'm in the context of a dad. I'm in the context of a husband. I'm in the context of a CXO. I'm in the context of being a best friend. I'm in the context of being a son. I can just add, I'm in the context of building a home. Yeah. And, and like, honestly, if, if people could actually fly above that and then not mash, cause right now everyone mashes everything together. And then, and then what happens is when they wake up in the day, it is just squished and it's overwhelming. It creates a ton of stress. Um, you know, you know, the most precious gift we have in this world is time. Like we all have the same amount of it, by the way, like we all have the same 24 hours. And, and so like really what we need to be fantastic out is when we wake up in the morning, even, you know, some people are planners, they got to plan three months out. Um, and, and that never works for me because that's not the way life works. Like life doesn't, you don't wake up and then execute the plan. It's more about your ability to navigate the context you have to be throughout the day. That's like probably the most important thing I think that you could probably, you know, wrap your head around is, Hey, my son comes in, how present am I going to be for writer? Mm. Like, am I going to be on my phone on this podcast? Am I, or am I going to put everything down, look him in the eyes and be like, Hey buddy, what's up? And then he wants to tell me something that's really important to him. And then, and I have to pick my head back up, move out of that context as a father and then come on and do a podcast, you know? And, um, I want to be very present for this podcast. I want 110% of my effort to be dedicated to the communication, the style, the audience that could potentially listen and gain something from this. I want this to be impactful to you too. You know, I want to perform. I want to, I want to be the very best engaged person I can. And then, you know, I'm going to have to go and put a roof on that structure I just showed you today. And so I'm going to put my coveralls on and get my tools on. And then I'm going to be committed to exactness in the roof today. And so look, I want a two foot overhang on either side. Like I've already thought through, okay, what hangers, what joists I need, you know, what three quarter inch ply CDX I need to lay down. Like I've thought through, okay, here's the bill materials. And then I need to just pace myself slowly through making sure I build this roof. And I think Josh, that's, that's been the key for me is that whenever I've mushed it together, sped through it, or I've not gone quick enough, I've missed a, a train stop and a train stop has been a big opportunity. And I'm like, oof brutal. Like, yeah. you know, I got in my own way. Um, I wrote my own story. Um, and you know, I completely blew a, a wonderful missed opportunity. Like, dude, I think it's an awesome question. Uh, and I have a ton of passion around, around the narrative of that, of that question specifically. Well, so let me just dive in one more time, I guess a little bit deeper, and then we can jump into directed discovery, but I'm interested then because yeah, I like, I like, I am in the context of this and this and this, and, and, and I think being very deliberately mindful in those moments is I think important, but I want to go back to, um, uh, to, uh, shoot, what was his name? Um, I can't remember Brent? his name now. Uh, yes. Brendan Dawes. Yeah. yeah. Brendan. Thank you. 
he, you know, he talks about his process. I mean, there's the process that everybody knows like, that, that he showed up on a screen, but it's more about how he kind of talks about what he does. And he talks about, uh, I collect, I curate, and then I combine. And so like, I, I, I'm interested in just, I guess, diving into that idea about if you can be very deliberately mindful in these moments where you're a dad or where you're building a home or, or where you're doing X, right? But then at some point being deliberate about the moments when, when maybe those things come together, right? When you do mish, mishmash them together to create something that is curated and combined into something completely unique. Like, do you, do you put those moments together? Like, do you think yeah. about that? Well, I mean, I, I, I would, I think, uh, reflectively sure and i would say that you know my failures have woken me up to pay attention to them now i would say as a young entrepreneur starting my business disaster dead bodies everywhere like i mean i did not know how to lead i didn't know how to manage i was committed to looking good um i was commit i, I felt like i wasn't good enough you know the college dropout thing created a whole bad side of my persona which is every time I walked into a room and somebody had a mechanical engineering degree or somebody was like, well-educated, I'm like, well, I can be better than you, you know, cause, because I had to work at it. Like, I mean, I wrote that story that, you know, I had to be a certain persona for a certain group of people and it was a disaster. So like, not like none of those things were, um, I had to learn all of that over time. And, and from people giving me really direct feedback, like communication styles, horrible. Or do you realize that you've really hurt someone's feelings over here by, you know, making a comment that you could do it better than them, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. I mean, I had no idea the boat anchor I was driving, you know, dragging behind me when I was interacting, uh, you know, in these companies or startups or these different teams. And so, no, I mean, none of that, like now, I mean, if I use this building example out here, like I, I had to... I had to do the research that these steel posts were five by five with 17 foot pounds or 17 square inches, um, you know, of load. I, well, I had to look at snow loads in, you know, in 84092 and I had to look at, you know, how much snow drift I get on one. And then I knew that I need to be five foot on center in order to carry that load. Yeah. I mean, that's committed to exactness. Um, did I still build the building in, you know, six days, a hundred percent, but that is a totally different refined skill set. Mm. Like, like the way I'm speeding through building a structure, that more is about a personal performance or goal because I want to disrupt the way that structures are built. Because I actually think that needs to be unbundled and then rebundled. And so more of that is like a social experiment for myself to see if I can unbundle and rebundle um, buildings and materials, right? And mm -hmm. still come out with the same product that somebody could walk through and be like, yes, this is awesome. And then when it gets, when it has to go through a four-way inspection, it's a breeze. Like it checks all the boxes, but the path I took, the way I got there, the way it was built, um, had a lot of innovation in it. And that is fun. Like, I mean, I think that's like kind of the, <laughs> the purpose in it all. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like I wake up and I'm like, man, it's so cool. So cool. I get the opportunity just to do this. It's so good. By the way, yeah, yeah. so far, uh, I've loved just, just like it's resonating with me what you're saying so much. I've had goosebumps a couple of times when you were talking about just how important those pivotal moments were. And I think it, 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 it I would just, I just love your, your openness about and, and the way that you think. Um, yeah, Josh, shoot, sorry, I cut you off. No, I, you didn't. I think you know, it's a good segue probably into directed discovery into talking a little bit more about that, because I think that is evoked through the book. I think your mindset is in the book and it's, a, in my mind, it's applicable in so many different ways, but I, I do think we, at some point through what you just mentioned, maybe talked to, you know, which we'll come back to in the end, but probably hinted at maybe the problems that you're trying to solve now going into the <laughs> maybe. future Who in knows? a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. But yeah, do you want to talk about then directed discovery and just kind of uh, give people who might not have any idea about what it is, just an insight into the framework itself and, and how it's supposed to work? Yeah, I think I always say this. Um, I mean, directed discovery was never, it was never meant to be a big or monetize, like monetizable framework. It's always been, you know, open source and it's meant to be one built upon two. Um, I never built it for teams or influencing teams. Like it just threw the, I, 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 maybe it's just word of mouth or whatever. It's, you know, kind of injected itself into a lot of different product development processes. But 
the antithesis, you know, of it was to oppose me, like as a human, you know, I mean, it was, it was always meant to put me back on the rails. It was, it was mile markers and guideposts. You weren't ever like supposed to follow this, like a religion. Um, you know, we laugh about agile or agile, you know, the, the framework that was built, but I mean, that is a framework that was put on people and then was turned into a very rigorous process. And, um, I can tell you, you know, that community that built that framework had never thought or never wanted it to become that it was, they were trying to shift so many different concepts and ideas away from this manufactured, you know, perspective. And mine is more, I would say, as I've gotten older and I've thought about like, what is the job or what is this thing really doing? Uh, and really what it's doing is it's trying to harness um, concepts around human behavior, like human patterns. Like what do we normally do if we go solve a problem? We have a lot of unconscious bias, a lot of ego. Um, we're ran by a lot of things by the way that we're raised you know, like you have to move outside yourself to a group of teams, but most importantly, like you have to change an entire company culture for product development. Like I have to get thousands of people to believe. Now what's, what's crazy to think about there is like, that is, that is such a small idea. Like if Pluralsight's 2000 employees, but Pluralsight sells its product to millions of learners. I mean, 18,000 business customers. So, you know, from the very point of, of origin all the way through messaging, marking, utilization, you know, everything that you do to build a product and get it in the market and have it adopted. You have, I feel like you have to have this, um, this perspective or this approach, which is, you know, the customer breaks the tie at the end of the day, the customer sits in, in everything that we do. Uh, and the team is given the opportunity or gifted the opportunity to try and amalgamate and change and shape um, that idea into a product. And then the gift is customer relation. Like, you know, when you see somebody grab your product and use it and you see this smile and they're like, oh, no way, man, that is so good. I mean, you know, the products that you have picked up in your hand or, or you've seen and you just kind of lean back in your chair and you're like oh fun and you know i i think you know teams they work i think teams should work for that that that's it's not revenue it's not billings like all those things are byproducts you know it's not corporate kpis it is customer elation and satisfaction and then a kpi likelihood to buy length of stay you know, net promoter score is the best way to orally communicate it to this audience, you know, for, you know, aggregated qualitative feedback, not a numeric score, right, is the best way. But, you know, is this customer evangelizing this beautiful thing that the team's built? And then will they pay money for it? And do they feel like it's a fair price for what they paid? And then will they continue to buy it over and over? Like, it's so simple. Um you know, I see companies just take this idea of metrics and really complicate is three metrics. You know, it's how much did people pay? Would they be willing, be willing to rebuy or pay for that again with the same dollar amount? And did you absolutely knock their socks off um, when they used it? And if you continue to keep doing that as a team, like what else is there? Like that, like sales and numbers aren't hard. I guess cake, you can go kill that. But if, but if you don't give them that magic uh, every time, it's tough. Yeah, that, that's, we talked about this earlier, didn't we, Josh, just around how, how important it is to get close to the customer and, and how impressed you know, I was and several people have been around how you used to do that with, with director discovery. You know, hundreds, we observed those uh, you know, interviews that you do each week and, and, and watch the, the skills. And I think there's, I'm interested to know, you know some of the challenges that, for companies to get there, um, you know, in, in a smaller company, you have less layers, right? You can you can have that relationship, um, maybe with with the customer. I'm interested to know some of those challenges that you faced, and you know what some of the skills are, as well, um, to really, I don't know, em- understand and empathize with with the customers. Yeah, I mean, I'll get I'll get pretty specific. I mean, this is like really you and I could spend all the day on this topic on how to navigate you know, big institutions. Um, I always call it the Martha Stewart magic. 
Um, you know, Martha Stewart, uh, can bake you one of the best damn chocolate chip cookies you've ever eaten. And she also can fly up and run a billion dollar company and she can manage up out and down that business exceptionally well. I mean, she's doing commercials with Snoop Dogg right now. I mean, like if you like look at the skill set seriously on how, how she can span, but when she gets into a ki kitchen, she's a practitioner. So an individual contributor can sit next to her and she can actually still teach a day-to-day -day use individual contributor um, how to make these little nuances to make the best cookie you've ever had. And I think that is one of the specials. I think you have hard and soft skills, but the soft skills of a human being to, that needs to manage a large, big organization through cultural change is that you have to bring an IC and individual con contributors context to a board. And then you actually have to be able to take that concept and connect it to their customers. And then you have to bring that back through the CFO, the CEO, like all of the people that sit around that table, you have to be able to, Hey, I'm talking to the CFO. What does the CFO matter? Like what, what does he, what does he care about right now? And if you can navigate your ability to kind of interject into each one of those domains and, and be able to interplay, it's a tremendous amount of work. That's why it's not often seen that much is because essentially what you're doing is a human researcher and then you're understanding all the nuances of a company and then the nuances of the roles that we have to take. And then you have to be an amazing storyteller. Um, you have to tell the story of the customer, tell the story of the team, tell the story of the board and the CEO, and you have to get everyone in the boat rowing the same direction. And um, larger the organization, the longer that it takes. Once you get people rowing that direction, it's over. Like, like if I could get, um, I I'll, I'll say a large financial institution, you know, looking at, uh, well, I'll use insurance as a good example. If you get large insur insurance institutions to look at what Lemonade has done, you know, to the insurance industry, which is I'm insured in under 90 seconds. Like all the red tape that created big insurance companies, that's within 90 minutes. Okay, like they anchored their whole company around what I care about as a customer. Like, can I get insured? And if something happens to me, will you give me my money? And it's because those other large companies can't get you a check. Like you always wonder like, man, if I get in a wreck, well, am I going to get like deducted or like what copay? Like, what are all these hurdles I'm going to have to go through to get my cash? And Lemonade is just like, nope, like let's just do everything we possibly can. Let's organize humans, technology, mission, vision, strategy all the way through. If I could do that with a big insurance company, I mean, they would mow Lemonade just because they would have the resources, the capacity, the human beings, the passion, the inertia to take that problem down. But it would require me two years of effort probably to get everyone on that same sheet of pay, like same sheet of music and then you know, we could go make a massive, massive. It's, yeah, it's interesting because well, I think, you know, maybe we talk about pace right now um, because that's a, that's a huge part of that. But I know at least if I was to talk about the feeling that I had when I saw directed discovery at work, like I was blown away and I had to think about it because when I saw the teams actually conducting as many interviews as you talk about, right? I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, how, how do you scale that? Like it was, I, I couldn't fathom it, but also it was, what's interesting, I guess, and maybe we can talk about this, but is, you know, I, I think the idea of a startup and the idea of, uh, you know, moving towards uncertainty or in, in, in terms of your book, right? Chasing confidence, right? Like there's this idea that we have to be confident enough that we are getting to confidence through, through the work of the people that are closest to the team. Whereas maybe, I, I don't know, like are the, the larger organizations that, that it's harder to scale that kind of thing, is it that they're already so confident in, in what they know and what they're good at that, that we're not willing to, you know, be able to take a step back and say, we're okay being a little unconfident right now and chase like to the, in terms of your book, chasing that confidence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could, like I said, I could put my own personal bias in it. I mean, I have general, you know, terms that I don't think are super useful. I think there's a little of, of both. I mean, you know, staring up at a multi-billion dollar company, <clears throat> a multi-billion dollar company has a lot of options. Like they've worked hard to have all those options. <clears throat> so one of those options could be, well, when they get big enough, we'll just take them out. Like we'll go through an acquisition. 
So like, what I like about the, I guess the, the question you're asking is there's a lot of game theory that's going to have to happen because, <clears throat> you know, why did, why did Lemonade create, like you have the founders, you have the founding team, you have all those people, you know, were they going for a strategic acquisition to get taken out by a big dog? Mm. I mean, that might've been the motivation, you know, or is it like, no, they're committed to morals, ethics, and values of like wanting to disrupt a market industry that's been so lazy that even if they got a massive billion dollar offer, it's like, we're committed to take them down. Mm. <clears throat> and so like, that is some fun game theory to think about when you think about larger organizations, like they're going through that same innovation discussion of like, well, if they bring up, could we make it a strategic, can we spin something out and hire, you know, a third party and create a labs environment? Like there's lots of optionality that they have, which is like, to your point, Josh causes the headwinds of, you know, when we're in the middle of a company looking up, you know, out and down, it's like, you can't see any of that. This makes, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, why wouldn't this, like, we have all these people and all these resources and this, you can see the innovation that's killing us in market. Why aren't you doing anything about it? And, and it's a lot of that is maybe just context that we don't know. Like they do have a lot of options yeah. and, you know, maybe they've got a strategic M&A team already working your competitor over for an acquisition price, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then yeah. maybe they've already put some money over here in a pocket and labs, you know, you know, experiment. And then, you know, hey, look, guys, um, you know, we need to keep the lights on. We need to keep the core business going. Um, and so, like, let's just keep, you know, keeping core customer base really, really happy and recurring revenue goals. I mean, I've seen that play out in every scenario, like every large company that I've walked into. It's like, hey, come in and, and change. When you actually get up and start having conversations through an organization, but specifically at the boards and the top, you're like, okay, you know, they, they know all of this that's happening and they've got a couple of different balls in the air and, you know, they're going to see which one ends up getting some significant traction across the business. Yeah. Well, let's, let's then, cause I think it's important. One of the most refreshing things that I, I know it stuck out in my mind um, was, was the topic of pace, because I think if somebody dives into what does this really look like, they go and read your book. I, I, I would like, just like talk about pace as it relates to directed discovery. And we can even talk about what's also interesting. I know it stood out to Spencer and I, the fact that you've been with your, the same team for three years, you know, it, or, or sorry, the same team over three different companies, I believe yeah. is what it was. Yep. Um, so that, you know, talk about pace, when you think about directed discovery, but also, you know, as that relates to how, why you continue to work with the same, the same team over three different companies. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the core team, I couldn't do it. Like that, that's kind of like, I'll just say this right up front. Like you can't, I can't do this by myself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, there, uh, that may be the best articulated answer since, you know, we're talking music, you know, um, Delta bluegrass, bluegrass, jazz, um, you know, Ken Norton gave a great talk at mine, the product around like all the different roles that people need to play in order for things to really be successful. And if you look at the people that I've had between Mariah and Gil and Kenji, you know, all the people that's, that, that have been on my teams, they, they are experts in a certain domain, like a good use case here is, you know, Gil for all intents and purposes. Oh my gosh. Um, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> that was Gil, by the way. <laughs> let him join let him join yeah, that's, that's so funny um so i, I would say that G gil if if you if you were at plural site when we first started um you know i was i was you know hired as the chief product officer i hired gil you know to come back as the um you know head of product and design design you know he was the you know lead ux designer at the time and when we broke, you know, the teams up and the functions up, there were a lot of people that loved reporting to Gil way more than reporting to me. And, and it's just because of his communication style and, and how humble he is and, you know, the way he designs and the way he thinks and the way he approaches problems. And I think as a leader, like if you, if you are committed to looking good and, you know, you have your own stuff that's going on and you want to try and surround a team, you're like, you're trying to hold dominion over that team because you want to be the person. And if you, if you don't grab a hold of that pretty quick, um, there's no way it's scaling because, because you're going to oppress the people around you and the teams that reported into you because you have to be the person with the best idea. And I'm never, I'm not committed to the best idea at all. I'm, I'm committed to the best outcome. 
um, which, which looks like human beings and our products being adopted widely, loving it, wanting to give us recurring revenue for it. Um, and that goes for social impact as well. Like how many impact, how many lives could we actually impact through through marginalized education um, in marginalized communities? Well, if we can give them a world-class education experience, could they be a wage earner as great as a Bay Area developer? Well, that's the goal. Like, so we're not, I don't care about how we get there. Um, I, I, and who like on the team provides those ideas to get there. So that's like concept number one. That has a ton to do with pacing, by the way. Like if, if you have a leader that comes into a business that's committed to the way they look, good luck. I mean, that's three, four, five years. If you want to see something happen in 60 days, you use the entire team as the chief product officer and individual contributors. That means me, I need to get on a computer or I need to do interviews. Um, I actually have to get in. This is the Martha Stewart magic. Like I have to get in and be a practitioner and bake the cookies. I have to say, hey, these are the subtle nuances that will speed up the process and the effort. So on the onset, you have to do it. And that doesn't matter if you're working for a $2 billion company or a startup tomorrow. Like that is a way of leadership that has to land into the business in order for people to evangelize and adopt it. And by the way, um, when you go into a big company, I mean, it will be organ rejection they will wonder why is this person's, what's their motives? These motives, these motives are different. Like I'm used to this ladder that needs to be climbed. By the way, corporate structures engineered that way behaviorally mm. and sense gives cash compensation. So you have to be able to fight the headwinds of performance-based compensation too. And so you, you can't like, when you come in, the, none of those rules apply to you as that leader. So that, that is like what dictates the pace is who am I going to be when I land on the ground and I start to work with these teams? And they're going to question me for, you know, OC Tanner, you know, it took me nine months to win all of the hearts and minds across the business. Um, and I would say I won 80%. There's still 20% that were like, no, never. I will, ne I will never, you know, ascribe to do any of the stuff that he's talking about. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that is, I think that's the definition of, of like how pacing is going to start. Say the second most important piece there um, is I talk about KT velocity in the book, Knowledge Transfer Velocity, which is, um, you know, it, depending on how big or small the company is, you know, when you're 30 or 40 people, we transfer knowledge amongst us like so fast and we have tools. But when you're 8,000 people or 3,000 or 5,000 people, getting everyone to know the same thing. So that's organizational design and structure. Like you have to knock down big middle management layers and, and get like communication, the continuity of that communication directly to the people that are building and selling uh, your products. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I love that. I'm interested in, in knowing as well around, I don't know if we're ready to go here, but 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 certainly to understand where you, you go next, right, in your future journey, um, and how you're using dis directed discovery in different ways, right? Maybe it's for the book, how you used it for the book, Josh. You mentioned it earlier, uh, before before the conversation, but also how you're using it now to to find the right problems. Maybe you've already found it, but I mean, you know, maybe talk about that. It would be super <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's problems in, in anything like, like finding the problem or finding a product for the problem, um, I think is relatively easy. Um, I think like the fortitude, the commitment, the, the vision of, of getting a bunch of folks outside of myself organized around it is probably, um, it's really hard because you're, you're going to have to have a mission, a vision, and its core values established. And then you're going to have to really believe um, in order to keep, and I think long-term sustainable growth. This isn't hyper growth. This isn't like, you know, a hundred percent Kager. This is like growing a legitimate business for 10, 15 or 20 years. Like that's the mindset. Everyone's so, short-sighted like everyone's a five or seven year exit like I, I don't ever walk into a problem thinking gosh i can't wait for my five to seven year payday it, it literally is it's like you're, you're putting a totally different outcome on the shelf for people to really organize their lives around 
And, and I mean that genuine, like when I say organize their lives, like this isn't something that people do uh, around a, like a constricted, um, like time frame, especially post COVID. I mean, our daily lives and our work lives, that daily fabric is now woven together. Like we have been forced to weave it together. And so the things that people do behaviorally on a day-to-day basis completely change. I actually think this is one of the biggest concepts like in the world that we should be talking about right now, which is, you know, the fabric of our life is like somebody took at the end of the bed and just shook it and it's laying differently um, on the foot of the bed now. And so all the behavioral patterns, the things that we do as a society will forever be different. And it's, I, I think it, I look at it as a huge upside and opportunity, um, you know, to, to take some things that were really inefficient and make them much more efficient. Um, so that's, that's like item number one. You know, number two is just my own, like I, I'm no different than I think anyone else is, you know, can I be convicted to something for, you know, 10 or 15 years um, and, and organize folks around it? And I think that these are areas of interest that I've like I've really dove pretty hard into, but I think the future of living needs to change um, quite a bit. I have four sons. I have a graduating senior this year. Um, so these are problems that are close to me, right? Like finding the problems is pretty easy. Um, like a problem that's really close for me, I have a lot of bias around, um, is I don't think the future of living looks like a 30-year mortgage for my four sons. Like I, I don't see them given what technology is done and just the behavior loops they're in between Instagram, Facebook, like all of the video games, everything that sits around their world, they're all digital natives, everything is expediency bias. Everything is now. Um, and it's like, well, Hey, can we as a society want to change it? Yeah, we could. I don't know if we want to. And I feel like that's so far down the path now that, you know, I don't see the current tools and, or our current best thinking changing much than the path that we're already on. And so that would be, that's, that's like a time to say, okay, could you, could you build some really fun innovation there for this targeted group. And I kind of always break customers into three groupings, a third, a third, a third, high net worth individuals, right? You kind of have the middle market, you have lower income, and then you have underrepresented minorities, that fourth category that's outside of that triangle. And so when I think, well, you know, total addressable market, you know, sellable addressable market, and then SOM, which is the thing that product folks should care about, which is your serviceable market. Hey, the company has these resources and could it actually give this great likelihood to buy length of stay and happiness curve to this customer over and over and over again. And I think housing um, is super interesting. So I'll get right to the point. I think subscription housing could be super fun. Um, I think sustainable subscription housing could be really fun um, to take a really hard look at. And I just think, you know, Avin, he, he's going to want, you know, power, water, sewer, and his mortgage um, all to be into one unified experience. He can't come up with 50K, 100K. It's ridiculous um, in today's world, especially in marginalized communities. Like that's not going to work. Um, and also just the natural behavior curve of uh, families. And I would say single individuals <clears throat> all the way to, you know, people that grow families. You know, I started out in 250 square feet, um, you know, and then we'll end up at 3,800 square feet. And so the natural expansion and contraction now when all my sons leave, like I'm, I'm probably pretty good to go back to 1100 square feet, but I do want to have different experiences and move, um, you know, around the world. And so, you know, your ability to, you know, create renewable energy. Um, and, and the last thing I'll highlight here is only people are talking about one renewable energy source. Like when they think about, Hey, I'm going to put solar on my house. It's like, man, there's, there's a lot of other renewable options. You know, there's wind turbines, there's hydro turbines, there's solar, right? There are already existing things that mother nature has provided to us that are a kit of parts that are super simple to harness that already create sustainability. And so I think if you think about sustainability, you think about housing, you think about current technology and evolution, and then the customer, like where is the customer's mental capacity today? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot of fun things to have a conversation over. Fascinating. That's great. So I guess you're looking at, you're right in the thick of discovery, uh, it sounds like. Um, do you, uh, 
and your customers at the moment are, are your sons and, and, and other people that you're listening to. Yeah, I want the tune. I want the tune. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I know. Keep going. Keep going. I, I'm just, I'm just going to bring it and tune it while you're talking. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just, I mean, Josh, I, I'm just curious to know how you're, you know, at what stage you are uh, right now. Uh, I don't mean the, you know, the specifics, but, but really just, um, you know, is, yeah. uh, well, I'm, I'm curious, like, is Gil involved? Is other people involved in, in, in helping you, helping you figure this Dude. out? Uh, anyway. <laughs> you wished. You wished, um, the thing, the thing that you should do, um, you know, Gil, Gil is working on some, well, Gil and I are lifelong friends. I mean, we're best friends, like nothing he does or I do. I can't ever think of us not doing a lot of stuff forever together. So is he involved? Absolutely. I mean, he's my best friend, you know, he's, he's my ride or die. Like, a, you know, he's, he's my brother. So I, yeah, I mean, for sure, he, you know, he's, he's definitely taken a really hard look and, and banged it around Gil. Um, dude, I am really excited for what Gil is working on. Gil, Gil has some stuff where finally he's, he's taken everything that he's got in there as a human being and it is, it is coming out. And so you're going to see, I think some really cool stuff. And I'm talking like in the next week or two, uh, yeah, I mean he's he's just killed it, like absolutely killed it. He he's got some cool creative genius stuff. You'll be able to buy it too. Like, I mean, this is this is his works of art, if you will. Brilliant. And um, yeah, I think it's gonna be amazing. Like, That's it's amazing. so so cool. We'll have to have him. It sounds like we need him on the, on That's the what podcast. I, was about to say. I, 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 I would, I I would, I put Gil on this thing. Absolutely. I put Gil on this thing tomorrow. Let me just make sure I'm I'm all square. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys can edit this part, so, absolutely. But I don't want it like sending all, you know, poopy. So a cool little thing. This I'm a big Martin guitar fan, but this guitar um, is a pre-war Gibson, uh, and it's a J30, and it is like, I don't know. It's just kind of as ridiculous as it sounds. Has turned into my one of my favorite, if not the favorite guitar. Okay. All right. Do no you pressure. need, a, do you need no an pressure. intro? You, no, yeah, no, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna rip it, dude. I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna try and rip it. Right. If I blow it, then, then oh well. Let's go. Yeah, we're excited. Outro music. Okay, cool. For, for for those that are can are only listening, Nate hit, picked up his guitar and he's about to play as a jam. So, but anyway, yeah, go for it. open ditty love it that was great i mean i'm this so literally we're at the beginning of this whole podcast journey but already like that is one of the best closeouts i think we're ever going to have (laughs) on the entire thing um but yeah i mean honestly nate it's been incredible i think you are i mean I can talk about what it felt like to walk into plural site, you know, with, you know, up until that point in my life and it was mind blowing, but I feel like the same thing happened when, when I got to know you and, and what you represent and what you do. And, and it's just been a pleasure to be able to talk with you. I, 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 I mean, to understand how you're mindful in certain moments and reflective in certain moments, but you're free enough to act on those moments. But then at the same time, you're thinking, how can I be committed to something long enough for 10 to 15 years? There's an interesting push and pull relationship there. And, and I think that's fascinating. And I would encourage everybody who uh, so doesn't know Nate to follow him where? <laughs> you can always follow me on Twitter. Um, Twitter is kind of the best place, uh, you know, to, to follow everything that I'm doing. I've written, I mean, everything I've ever written or produced is always on Medium for free. I need to get back out and write more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I appreciate you guys having me. I mean, you guys are organizing this uh and i think it's gonna be a lot of good for the world right now i think the interview candidates that you've chosen you know they um 
they're really good people. They're fantastic humans. Um, you know, Brandon, I can't wait to listen to, to Brandon's, you know, podcast. It's going to be good. It is. It is. And also, um, yeah, just everybody read Chasing Discovery. Um, check it out. Chasing Confidence. Oh, that's what I meant. Sorry. Chasing Confidence. Maybe I should have renamed it to Chasing Discovery. <laughs> I, I got to rename it. Yeah. Sorry about that. Chasing Confidence. Um, but yeah, Nate, seriously, thank you so much. And thank you. Yeah, so, we want to have you back on. Yeah, absolutely. want to see that structure finished and find out what what's the next uh, next for you hey, man. thanks thanks Nate. have a fantastic day thanks guys have a great day thanks for hanging out with us we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the swell podcast be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast sign up to our newsletter at theswellpod.com and get in on the conversation through all major socials at the swell pod we'll see you next time